tell tell us a bit about your background giles we i mean we you and i met at a festival do you remember which festival that was many years ago probably about 2004 uh two thousand about 2004 um we met we met it might have been uh the sunrise festival yeah, that sounds about right. I, I think you probably read my article in Festival Eye and maybe giving away the, the Rainbow Bridge CDs. And then when oh, we what a wonderful. Yeah, then we, we, we met up and I remember the first thing you did, you said was let's go and chant Hare Krishna together and we sat down and chanted. It was great. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, well, my name is Giles Bryant and um, I'm a dad and uh, a yoga teacher, a musician, a music producer, a lover of the earth, um, a writer. So, yeah, I suppose I've got different hats that I wear. I, and I, I remember you telling me at one time, didn't you start doing a law degree? Oh, yeah, I, I'm a, yeah, I mean, I'm a Bachelor of Laws, yeah. Yeah, I studied in Bristol, so I uh, I was going to be a barrister, actually. That was my, you know, when I was, when I was young, <laughs> when I was young, I, yeah, I was training to be a barrister, and after a year of um, of law uh, in '94, I discovered yoga and really got deep into the practice of yoga, of yoga meditation of relaxation, of using sound, of movement. And I then decided, uh, the, you know, a legal profession is not for me. There's something that's uh, a bigger call, uh, something that's going to bring me more joy and more importance. So, yeah, I did actually finish my degree. Um, but rather than go to practice, I then went to live in a woodland. <laughs> OK, that, that must have shocked your family then. They, they, well, I was a hero because I had a two-one in law, you know. Oh, okay, but that, but they were thinking that you were now going to bring in the big, the big lolly being a city. No, they lawyer. knew. No, they knew that I'd, um, they knew that I'd done, you know, done the degree, and now, well, you know, it wasn't going to be. I wasn't going to become a barrister. I think they're very happy for me to, to do what made me happy and to do where there was a, a, a positive focus. So. Being in the woods taught me so much. And one of the great things it taught me when I went to live in the woods, there was about six of us managing a woods uh, in, um, not far actually from Saffron Walden uh, in Essex. And it taught me to express myself. It taught me to sing. And when we'd sit around the fire, there was never any judgment, any criticism. Everyone was encouraged to have a go. And being in the woods really accelerated my... Um, not just my love of music, but the interaction with music and right. how also being in a natural environment, not, not living in a, um, a house with electricity, uh, but actually living in nature, the harmonic surroundings of nature, uh, really was a fantastic place for me to continue my study of yoga. So what, were you living in a hut or a tent or what? Yeah, I was just living in a tent, yeah. I just lived in a tent and I did it over the winter as well. So I had, you know, a couple of sleeping bags and, and just, just lived in a simple way and, and in a very, in a way that was 
connected to the earth and it taught me so much you know the story of the buddha the buddha received his enlightenment and he was uh he sat under the tree right the bodhi tree we hear of krishna who played in the forests of vrindavan i mean i think we should try and the the rishis of india the for the, you know it was from the the forest the forest ashrams i think we need to possibly take some of these things on board and and where we can get into that natural connection, because you just it, t it teaches us the harmonics of nature teach us. Well, that that harks back to to Joni Mitchell's famous Woodstock song, uh, "Back to the Garden." You know, from from the summer of love, nineteen sixty seven. I mean, we were too young to be there, but it, we we were celebrating the summer of love. I was celebrating the forty year anniversary, and you remember my pink poster in in two thousand and seven. And I was celebrating, well, 40 years of, of Krishna consciousness coming to the West, you know, Swami Prabhupada, you know, this, this penniless monk came over from India in 1965, September 65, he arrived in New York. And by January 1967, um, he, he'd uh, acquired enough followers that he his followers organized a concert with uh, the Grateful Dead, uh, Moby Grape, uh, Janis Joplin in San Francisco, like a fundraiser for the Hare Krishnas. So, you know, he recognized how important it was to, to tune into the youth, basically. He wasn't some uptown Swami living in a penthouse in Manhattan. He was down in the Bowery with, with the bums in New York, literally. But and in and in twelve years he went from having nothing to you know material to having he'd established a hundred ashrams, temples, and farming communities worldwide. So I know that you're a follower of, of Yogananda, Giles. Um, so tell me a bit about how you came to to Yogananda, and tell me a bit about him. Yeah, well, um, of course, before. Um... Prabhupada came to the West, you know, the, the first yoga master to live in the West for an extended period was Paramahansa Yogananda, who arrived in 1920 in Boston. And uh, <clears throat> Yogananda was, they, they, they called him, a, you know, Premavartai, he was a, an incarnation of divine love. So very much he had a very devotional nature. And his most famous work is the autobiography of a yogi. Oh, yeah. And when, when you study yoga, if you're learning about yoga diet, if you're learning about yoga postures, if you're learning about yoga meditation, if you're learning about devotional yoga music, you, you'll find Yogananda because he was, if you're learning about healing affirmations, you'll find Yogananda because he, yeah, he was the first person to do these chants. There's a lovely story of when he was in, uh, he played at Carnegie Hall. Wow. And he said, um, he said to a, 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 one of his students, I'm thinking of leading them in a, in a chant uh, tonight. Oh, I don't, oh, I don't know if they'll, I like it. I don't know if they like it. And he translated, um, I think it was a song of Guru Nanak, Oh God Beautiful. Anyway, he said, oh, God, beautiful, oh, God, beautiful, let thy feet do bow. 90 minutes later, they're all still singing. <laughs> right? And it was that, 
that devotion, that sweetness of the devotion. So when I was learning, when I, when I studied yoga and I studied, I studied yoga as a, as a law student. And the one, when you, when you study law, when you, um, you do a law degree, it teaches you how to learn things. You know, part of it is you're, you're learning about how to learn and you're learning about how to present. So, yeah, so I was really, really getting into it. And, and so many people or so many books or so many aspects of yoga referred to the autobiography of yoga and yoga. So I get the book. I remember it now. Hannah's bookshop in Braintree. And I get the book and I looked at this face, this most beautiful face on the cover. And I felt that I knew this face and that this face was loving me and protecting me and teaching me and was, was with me then in such a profound way. And I can only describe the effect of reading that book as this, that imagine you'd spent your whole life in a room I've been in a nice room, but it was a room. You lived in a room. Right. And then the doors opened and you could see the whole world. <laughs> right. My God. <laughs> the effect of my consciousness of reading the autobiography of a yogi was that. It was that I thought this was my I thought this was reality. And I read that and I it was as if my the doors of perception, as Huxley said, had been opened. Okay. And Yogananda, he, you know, his thing was um career yoga meditation he was he was it was his mission to bring career yoga meditation to the west and the basic principles of that are a fusion of what he called the original christianity not churchianity right but original christianity is taught by jesus and the yoga of uh, krishna mm -hmm. and and it, his his whole thing was to show that these are the same things that christ and krishna are the same yes things and 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 so what he did what yogananda did it to the westerners was he taught them yoga in their own language right using the stories that they were familiar with right and he had such a presence and a power as as others have you know uh, others have your guru dave and you know Many of these great, uh, many of these great yogis have. Shishi Ravi Shankar is one of the modern age. You know, Amaji. These people have such sweetness and love and devotion. And Yogananda is, it, it inspires my work with World Healing Project, with my singing, with my yoga teaching. I had a, a class here this morning uh, with this uh, youngster, and I just thought, what a what a privilege it is for me. You know, to, to share. Yeah. To, to share, really. And that was the inspiration of Yogananda. It was to, to anchor into what is yoga. You know, the, self, the science of self-realization, you could say. Yes. Of, of union, of, of love, of peace, of joy. These wonderful qualities. And to share that and to resonate that out in the best way that I can. So, so I'm, I'm interested from a, a philosophical point of view. Um, as, as Swami Prabhupada, he, he founded the Western Hare Krishna movement. Obviously, it's a much older thing. It's not just some Hindu thing that's come over in the 60s. This is a very, very ancient tradition. You know, that the lineage that he claimed to be the 
latest successor in. He called the the Brahma Madhva Gaudiya Sampradaya, going back to Lord Brahma, the, the original creator, uh, and saying that there's four Sampradayas, four successions of gurus. Um, so yeah, Swami Prabhupada gave a very personal uh, picture of Krishna. So did I, I'm, I'm just interested to know, Giles, did Yogananda see Krishna as, as a real person, as, as actually a you know, we know that God doesn't have a material form, but but did he did, did he relate to him as having a spiritual form when, when he entered this world when Krishna was here? Did did he did he talk about that? Yeah, he did. He did, and um, one of his major works uh, is his um, translation and commentary of the Bhagavad Gita. Oh really? So it's a double volume set. I mean, it's you know, it's 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 very very deep, uh, deep wisdom. Right. So, yeah. So so he 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 uh, he had a, it's a lovely story, um, and I actually went to the the house where this happened. Wow. I went to, um, I mean, I'm, you know, like you, blessed to have travelled around Indian. Um, so I went to his house in Calcutta, and I met his nephew. Wow. He was 93, 93 at the time. Wow. And when, when some, some, sometimes the stories are a little bit distant because, oh, well, it was the time of the Buddha. Oh, it was the time of Krishna, the time of Jesus. And it's like so long ago. Oh, really? But when you, I met the guy's nephew, you know, wow. Wow. and he's telling me the stories and it was like it was there. Right. It was like there was no distance of time. It was, it, you, it was happening. You could feel it in the, you could feel the energy of it. So right. there's a wonderful story. He had a friend come around to meditate. He was a boy. You know, he was a boy at the time. And they, he said, I'm going to spend all night until I have a vision of Krishna. <laughs> and the boy gets about 5 a.m. and the boy's getting tired. And Yogananda said, because he was a strong, you know, he said to give up is to die. I will stay, you know, meditate like this. And then just as the dawn's coming, you know, Krishna appears. Oh, wow. You know, Krishna appears there and blesses them. Wow. And there was a, there was a, a sweetness in the air, a, a perfume right. that permeated the room right. for weeks afterwards. And that when people would come into the room, they would say, what's this perfume? Wow. It, to, to almost... Almost to show some tangible proof to this boy's mind that there'd been a reality to this experience. Right. So absolutely, I mean, the 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 teachings that Yogananda brings to the world are the are the teachings of Krishna, are the teachings of what, he, like I say, as he called the original Christianity, and Yogananda had some fantastic ideas. One of them was to establish these, what we'd now call like an eco-village or a spiritual community. Uh, but at the time he called them worldwide brotherhood colonies. So it was where people could live in the, in the, uh, the countryside and they could regenerate the local crafts and uh, food production and, and uh, you know, uh, have a devotional life and meditate together and, and bring up families and have education. And that's something that I think as time goes on, I'm becoming so much more interested in, in manifesting for my own life. Okay, Giles. So, you know that I've, I've called my uh, new podcast channel London Revelation. And, yeah. and you know me, you know, I, I 
30 years ago, I, I came across, I was in Conway Hall in WC1 in London, yeah. which is yeah. a famous, a famous meeting hall. Yeah. Actually, um, Srila Prabhupada's Sri Ishopanishad, the foreword for that, uh, actually it says this is what he spoke when he was in Conway Hall in 1971. So anyway, I happened to be there. I think it was like an animal rights meeting or something. Anyway, I stumbled across this book. It, you know how sometimes you just feel magnetically drawn to a book? There's a whole pile of books, but one of them just jumps out at you. Um, and I think this happens to many of us, you know, because it can be bewildering, can't it, when you're in a bookshop. Mm. And I saw this book called Earth Stars, and it had a geometric pattern on the front. I picked it up. What year was this, mate? Uh, 1990. This was the year that Chris Street first published it was his paperback. It was the dark blue paperback, Earth yeah. Stars. Yeah. This is later on he produced, I think 10 years later, he produced a hardback yeah. version. Which so had the book, had the book just come out? The book had literally just come out. And, and wow. I, happened, I happened to pick it up the first year. Yeah. Um, you know, it was brand, anyway, I, I, I opened it and, and I flicked through it and straight away I bought it. I just thought this looks incredible because the concept and why I've called my podcast London Revelation is he was demonstrating that there's a, a street, a geometric ground plan which extends right across Greater London um, within two concentric circles, uh, uh, identical in proportion to Stonehenge except a thousand and eighty times bigger. Now that's not a random number, a thousand and eighty just happens to be the radius of the moon in miles. And the two circles represent the earth diameter and the inner circle represents the earth diameter and the outer circle represents the earth plus the moon diameter. And then he, what he demonstrated in his book is if you, you draw a square around the inner circle, the perimeter of that square equals the circumference of the outer circle. And this is a, a mystical ancient, uh, craft, if you like, of, of establishing a temple uh, plan whereby the square represents the measurable material world, uh, the finite world, and the circle represents the infinite, immeasurable spiritual world. And where the two are reconciled in this squared circle geometry, you have the basis for a, a temple ground plan, which is reflected at Stonehenge. It's reflected in the Great Pyramid. Um, it, it's described in the biblical book of Revelation, but then astonishingly what Chris Street was demonstrating was this ground plan was, was it, it's also inherent in, in the, yeah, the underlying ground plan of London. And we're talking two circles, 16.2 and 20.625 miles wide, going from Barnet in the north to Croydon in the south, East Ham in the east to Hamwell in the west. So I was just blown away by this. And, you know, the significance of, of what we've done together, Giles. I mean, in 2008, you were my MC when I was holding heartwave parties at Camden Lock. I'm sure you remember those. Yeah, incredible times. Well, it was, it was the Inspiral Lounge right on Camden Lock, just where it, it, it crossed the bridge goes over the river. But my reason for choosing that location was because it was on the north-south axis of the London Earth Star. 
and that and that axis extends from Rottingdean, just near Brighton on the south coast, mm -hmm. comes up through Croydon, right across in a dead straight line through 19 churches all the way up to Barney and extends right up to Yorkshire. And the east-west line extends from South End right across to uh, Western Supermare, I think, and then out to Lundy Island, so, which is also connected with Stonehenge itself because Lundy Island is on exactly the same uh, latitude as Stonehenge. I mean, it, basically what he revealed to me and what John Michel acknowledged in that first book in the foreword was that what Chris Street has done is very masterfully, he's, he's given like a, 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 a demonstration of, of sacred geometry that, um, uh, you know, it, it basically it, it, it's been my handbook on the subject for the last 30 years now. And I, my concept of having the heart wave parties was, yeah, this will help to purify the airwaves, which are currently polluted. My Gurudo says, and I'm sure Yogananda would have agreed with this, that the greatest source of pollution in the world, the biggest environmental problem is actually sound pollution. It's the airwaves being polluted with nonsense and deception. You know, the deceptions of, of politicians, especially, and, and, you know, people just, you know, telling lies, you know, to get their own for whatever gain they think they're going to get. So, yeah, the, the, the whole idea of purifying the airwaves, and here we are, uh, you know, yeah, reclaiming the airwaves was my idea with the heartwave parties, and here we are, um, yeah. 12 years later, you've got yeah. your own radio station, which is called, what is it called, Giles? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the uh, presenters on it, Kinda Sound. Okay. Kinda Sound, yeah, so... Um... A guy, a guy uh, who runs this charity, The Missing Kind, Hugh Gallagher, lovely, lovely guy, came to my birthday party this year okay. and he said, look, I'm setting up a radio station. I know you produce music. Do you want to get involved? You know, it'd be great for you to do a show. So it's so very much similar to what you're doing with your uh, London Revelations podcast is to put information out there to bring about the great awakening, to bring about the you know healing and peace and harmony and and all of these things that you're talking about because as um as chris street has pointed out in his earth stars work and and something that you have told a lot of people about in your own um work with the earth stars and in your work with your work the heart wave and the very you know the, the i mean the very, many projects that you've been working on the heart wave, the 1,746 day <laughs> continuous dance party. I mean, we were continuously, you know, we did sleep and we did rest, but we danced every day. <laughs> 1,746, because it's the 46, because it's the number of fusion, the sacred number of fusion. And in the in the middle of the um, a London Earth Star, is, is it Brock House? Brock House, which is an annex, it's part of BBC Broadcasting House. Yeah, so it's part of BBC Broadcasting House, which is no, it should come as no surprise to people who have an understanding of these things that the British Broadcasting Corporation, you know, would have this. So one of the things that I've done, and I know you have, is work on the ground. And if people are listening to this, I thoroughly recommend you you know, get 
I mean, he's a guidebook. You can get Chris Street's book, uh, Stars, but also he's done a book on the London ley lines. Just look it up and, and just go to some of these places, visit some of these places, walk some of these alignments. Um, they're absolutely fantastic. And one of the things that I've done, uh, I mean, I live in Suffolk now, uh, though I was the bard of the Earth Star Grove, you know, I like to think I'm just the bard of my back garden. <laughs> but one of the things that I've done is, you know, is I've been singing all around London, Brilliant. walking around and chanting and singing and holy water and with the bells and, you know, and those places that you mentioned, the, um, the four points. I mean, Chris isn't available to, to, to do the, um, to do the, the interview at the moment. Um, he's, he's not been so well. And of course, the love and healing to him. Chris Street's a, a great buddy of mine. I, lo I love you, Chris, if you're out there listening. Oh, he's to a this. wonderful man. He's a, he's a great man. And, he, he, and came to Chris... our, he came to that first um, Heartways party, didn't he? He was there. Yeah, he did a, he did a, he did a talk for sure. Because, um, I mean, for people who weren't there for the Heartwave parties, it was a blend of uh, fantastic food, DJs, uh, little talks, uh, live music, um, global healing meditations, community, uh, world peace meditation. I mean, a, a, a pioneering um, thing. The heart, the heart wave was a you know a kind of pioneering what, thing. What, in, yeah, in this what, thing. what I was testing there was I had an idea that there is such a thing as the gift economy. That I didn't have any money, you didn't have any money. Um, the cafe was offered to us um, by a friend who, whose wife happened to be a god sister of mine, Dominic, wasn't it? Who ran ran the Inspiral oh, Lounge. Yeah, Dom, Dom, yeah. Um, the, the DJ who came along, everyone who came along just did their bit voluntarily. You know, yeah. the DJ Simon, he's a Harry Krishna devotee, lovely fella. Um, and yeah, everyone who came along and performed. I mean, that first night, I had a, a god brother, Madhava. He came over with his entire band, Transcendence, from the Malvern Hills. Yeah. They, they never asked me for a penny. I mean, that was a really big deal to come like 125 miles with a band and all the paraphernalia. You know. Yeah, just, people people yeah, felt people felt the call of it. People did feel the call of it, and um, you know, I mean, I, I look forward to when when people can be putting these things on again in London. And, and I know things are starting to happen again now. I see some people are running events and things um, because it's such an important, it's such an important part of it. This, the, when you talk about um, the sacred geometry and sound, the sound is sacred geometry. Yes. You know, uh, I know on a future podcast, you're going to have Christian Kiriaku. I mean, and he's kind of like the, the grand master of understanding these concepts of these interactions between these things but through things like cymatics and masuri motos you know you, you see that these things are completely connected so there is a geometry in around london there's a everything is essentially geometric but everything is essentially sound in the beginning was the word the word was with god the word was god now krishna says i am the Om, right so there's the, the divine sound is divine but it's if it, it's if it's in tune it's if it's in harmony right it's if is if there's that rhythm that is in harmony with us 
And when Guru Dave and, and um, these people spoke of this pollution of sound, he's not just talking about audible sound, which is about between 20 and 20,000 hertz. That, that, those sound frequencies, they might be singing or, you know, but that's, it's the subsonic and the ultrasonic frequencies, you know, the 5G and all this stuff. That kind of pollution, electromagnetic pollution, I think that's also something that we've got to watch out for. But Chris Street, he took me around. And I learned a lot from him by being with him at the site. So right. it all started for him. It's a lovely story. It all started for him at a place called Camelot, Camelot Moat, which is near Cockfosters. Okay. He talked about Barnet, and but the first place that he discovered was this cat was this Camelot moat, and they say where was Camelot? You know, well, uh, he had a vision of this white lady, and she was very big, and she would appear to him at certain times. And people have seen such a kind of figure; they they appropriate it to different cultures. So when the girls um, at Lord saw the he said it was the Mother Mary, Mother or Mary like yeah, of course, yeah. Isis or whatever. But anyway, it was this figure appeared to him. And Chris is a very mystical kind of character, um, spiritually developed guy. And this, and it led him to discover this ancient site, this ancient manor house that had these massively thick walls where there was a well and where there was a moat all around it. And from there, he was led on this journey to discover the, the Barnet Triangle. And then that led him to discover the circle and all these other points. I mean, an incredibly journey he went on. I haven't been to all of the points. I've been right. to a, I've been to a lot of the Earth Star. You know, I've been right. checking it out. And uh, Chrissy encourages people to do that to go to these sites and to meditate and to to be respectful and to show love and all these things. But but it's an amazing thing to do. It's like you know the the um, the wheels, the like prayer wheels, right? Uh huh. You imagine the Earth star is a prayer wheel. Okay? Wow. Okay. Imagine it's the turntable. Yeah, we're going to give it. So, just we're up, we're up there in the north, in the beautiful place there of um, Camelot Mount, and then you go round to East Ham and to to Barking to the Abbey. Oh yeah. Which was which was probably one of the places of the perpetual choirs in the old times, right? Oh, Where they been in that Abbey, yeah. They've been singing all the time, you know, that's what they were doing at these places. And then you go around to Croydon, some fascinating sites in and around there, a site on a hill where Chris thought there'd been a stone circle in previous times in that area. Oh, he and did, then you go, yeah, he mentioned Pollard Hill. I mean, the extraordinary thing for me is I went off Pollard and Hill. I, jo I joined the Harry Krishnas in, in 1990. Actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was the year. That was the year that I picked up his book, and I, and I moved up mm. to Leicester. And I was thinking, that's it. I've moved out of London. I've, I've joined a temple. I'm going to renounce the world, kind of thing. And you know, like the greatest plans of mice and men. Uh, mm. <laughs> a couple of years later, I found myself living back in London, but I was living in Croydon, and and I right. I, had, I had been a motorcycle dispatch rider since 1982. Yeah, and my office was next to literally a couple of hundred yards away from BBC Broadcasting House. So every morning I was riding in through Streatham, through Norbury, uh, South way. London, just south of Streatham. And, and then I found out about Pollard Hill. And of yeah. course you, you turn off 
the main A23 road going through Streatham and you go onto this housing estate and you go up a hill, all of a sudden you find yourself standing on this hilltop. He described it as a hilltop henge. I mean, now it's, it's, hen, a, yeah. it's a fenced off park, you know, with a what looks like a concrete bus shelter in it, not very pretty, but obviously in its day, but it had a commanding view in all directions over all of London. You know, you could see for literally, well, you know, probably 50 miles in all directions. It was astounding. And then, yeah. I, of course, I'd come in every day. Not only did I work next to uh, next to Broadcasting House, once I got his book, I decided, do you know what? I'm going to go and sit next to Brock House in the middle and between jobs, I'll chant Harry Krishna. Nice. And the BBC was one of our customers. It was actually one of our biggest customers. So yeah. I was constantly in and out of Broadcasting House, um, Bush House, um, all the different BBC properties in, in Shepherd's Bush, and and all and of course I got to you know deliver to a load of celebrities and 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 you know it was I loved the work you know it was you know I was absolutely in my in my element with that yeah and sorry yeah. to go off on, on, the, on a digression no no it's beautiful but, mate no because you were connecting into the energy of of, of the of the alignment and I mean the north south alignment is is a very important uh, in many traditions because it, it, it's the polar axis. It's like the Greenwich Meridian and, you know, this, uh, this alignment uh, into the, the higher realms, into, into the north, into the, the you know, the, the, the realm of the realm of Shiva and all of these things. But um, what one thing I just wanted to mention there is that though concrete has been built on many of these sites, and it, 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 they're, they're still there. The energy is still there. It, can't, it cannot be dissipated by, by the concrete or whatever, by the bus shelter, etc. So it's well, I mean, I remember going to Pollard's Hill there, um, you know, like some years ago. But one of, the, one of the most fantastic places, if anyone's in London, I really recommend it is, again, it's on that north, north line, is um, the tree circle in Green Park. Oh, yeah. And it's a place that we've done a lot of uh, ceremonies and meditations. I even took the dragon one there one year for our George and the Dragon celebrations. And Chris, Chris Street was there. Chris was with us right. uh, for that. And um, I remember one of the uh, Reclaim Love events with wow. Venus Kumara. You know, I remember Venus, and, yeah. And she led eight, about 800 people. Wow. Um, from Piccadilly Circus to, to Green Park, and she said, "Oh, you know, they are. They say it's something to do with some ley lines or something." But anyway, here we are. You know, <laughs> there's 13, 13 trees in this perfect circle, and Chris said that the thirteen was a reference to the thirteen moons in the the solar year, uh, and there was a, a druid, a druid tree circle. Yeah, uh, there'd been a a, a, a re revitalization of the druid, uh, the concept of druidism. Some people believe that it was it only comes from the 1700s. Of course, that's ridiculous. Um, you know, the, the druid is uh, the word druid or druidism is just an, a, a word that means a pre-Christian uh, priests and, well, and religions, yeah. thousands of years old. Well, Pete, Peter Beresford Ellis, who's written many books about the Celts and the Druids, 
he he acknowledged in one of his books that the word druid actually comes from Sanskrit, two words, drew meaning immersed and vid being the verb root of Veda, which means knowledge or, or scripture, basically. So a druid was one immersed in knowledge. Yeah, and, you know, I, I live that's over, it. I live over in Wales and it's acknowledged here, you know, that the Welsh language, which is also perfectly phonetic, like Sanskrit, is actually derived from Sanskrit. And, you know, what we're, what we're looking at here is a revival of mankind's original culture. And this was led by people like Yogananda. He was one of the great pioneers coming to the West. You know, because when he was coming over, the, the British still ruled India, didn't they? They were there for 200 years. Um, yeah. You know, Swami Prabhupada, you know, he came over in the 60s. But yeah, he was following in the footsteps of giants also. I mean, my Guru Maharaj's guru, he was a follower of, of Chandra Bose in the 1920s. You know, there was Gandhi with his passive resistance movement, which was what eventually got, you know, eventually turfed the British out of India. Chandra Bose was into armed insurrection. You know, they were out in the, out in the jungles with their rifles. And this, this is, you know, my Gurudev's guru. You know, because you can imagine if your country's been invaded by, you know, military occupation and, and these people are just robbing and abusing your fellow citizens, you, you got, want to get them out. So, you know... I mean, that's, how, that's how I feel about the times we're living in now, to be honest. You know, I mean, I look at, I look at our the world and how it is now. I mean, I went to see some friends came for uh, yoga yesterday and his wife had been just to just, just take this story, right? Imagine there's no anything that's gone on. Just listen to this story. Okay. This uh, lady is singing. She's out, you know, out in, uh, in nature, singing with 50 people. It's spaced out and five police officers turn up. Right. Right, because you're not allowed to sing. These people recently did a performance for the BBC, local BBC, and they had complaints from people because they're singing. <laughs> right now, if I just told you that, you'd say, "Well, it sounds like it's uh, Nazi Germany or communist, whatever." You know, Stalin's going to come for you. What people aren't allowed to sing, you know. So I don't know about you, but I mean, I've been getting out singing. Well. You know, in, in, in our tradition, and you, you must have heard this, there's a very specific description of the effect of chanting mantras. Mantras are particularly powerful. Man means mind and tra means deliverance. So when you're chanting uh, bona fide Sanskrit mantras, you're actually freeing your mind from all misconceptions, you know, from attachment to the material world. Um, but it's said that when you're chanting mantras quietly, that's immensely powerful. When you're singing those mantras out loud, that's a hundred times more powerful. And when you sing those mantras out loud in congregations, that's a hundred times more powerful than that. So basically 10,000 times more powerful than chanting quietly is chanting in groups. So when Krishna incarnated again 500 years ago in West Bengal, which was then, India was the richest country in the world 500 years ago, literally. Yeah, yeah. You know, when God incarnates, you know, all wealth and prosperity automatically follow, you know, the spiritual world descends with him. He doesn't just come down on his own. He brings his, his wealth, his paraphernalia, his weapons, his friends, everything 
happened. So India was incredibly rich. So India then proceeded, you know, after he left, then India proceeded to be plundered, you know, first by the Muslim invaders from the Middle East. But after them, then the British occupied for 200 years. They wanted that wealth. And, you know, they went there and, and, and took it. But karmically, this is really interesting because although Britain plundered the physical wealth of India, they weren't really in, you know, the occupiers, they were in, into money. They weren't interested in the actual, the real wealth of India, which, which is the knowledge, you know, the, the ancient knowledge. So that's been preserved. And in, within that ancient knowledge, it's described that this was a world culture up until the beginning of the, the Kali Yuga, that the emperor of the world was seated in Hastinapur, which is now Delhi. And he would be like the king of kings and, and all the other kings, Egypt, Greece, all around the world, Britain, they would all, you know, pay him homage and, and pay him some taxes and acknowledge, oh yeah, he's the king of kings. So this is where the Druid and the Celtic culture is coming from. I mean, yes, there is an aspect of, of an 18th century, you know, romantic revival, but it, it's coming from a, a deep knowledge inside us that this is valuable knowledge. This isn't just, you know, romantic, you know, dancing around stones out in the woods kind of thing. This is actually connecting with nature on a very, very deep level. Absolutely, yeah, and there's and there's the proof. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Um, I mean, for for there's a, there's a, a fantastic story about the um, uh, the summer, somewhere in India, and there've been drought for years. You know, and the crops are failing, and the the Krishnas turn up, and they're just you know day and night giving it some, you know, giving it vibing it, and then it starts to rain. Right. You know, it's it's just it's such an important thing. Where I live in Suffolk, in Clare, the Baptist church, they're nice people. And I said to him, "Oh, when when's the church? You're going to be in the church again?" Oh no, no, no. And then months pass. Oh, we're now having a service. Okay, are you singing? Oh no, oh no. Now these are the people when they sing, <clears throat> they're like you know they're like reaching up. Right. They're like you know they're like reaching out for Jesus. They're like they're sit and have a drummer and they, they love it right right they're not allowed to sing the effect the, if pubs aren't singing football in football grounds the earth star line that goes the, the um perpetual choirs line that goes um it goes through wolverhampton wanderers football it? ground and when john gibson 40 doused it he said that on a saturday the line would expand the ley line the doused energy of this line would expand incredibly just because there was that celebration just because there was people because there was that collective consciousness and that's something certainly that colin bloy showed with the what you could call the fountain effect it's that people places like people can suffer from disease and can be healed right he said if you get people together with an act of love and uh, visualization of light and love for the greatest good of all in all directions for the greatest good of all would have a profound effect and i think it, i think that is the time it's the time for that now it's the time for people to go out into like walk and, and sing and celebrate and meditate Absolutely. and even thinking about it and as we go from that south just to finish it was in the west uh, at hanwell and at hanwell lived these lovely um the taplins who were very connected to fountain 
and they knew all about the Earth Star, and they'd be, you know, they live right there, maintaining that. And as you go around, and it's a bit like it's a bit like the turntable, you know, it's a bit like that, that record, the Earth Star. Right. So we we're not we're not living there now. Uh, we're not in London, either of us. But even just visualizing it and visualizing it being filled with light, right in the middle of it, love, light, and peaceful directions. I think it's a very valuable thing to do. Well, you know, this morning I was reading that uh, uh, Dr. Marcus Papadopoulos. I'll, I'll just read what he tweeted this morning. Yeah, sure. The Great Barrington Declaration, calling for an end to lockdowns and endorsed by 11,000 scientists worldwide, has been rejected by the British government. Instead, the government will adhere to the demands of scientists who have ties to pharmaceutical giants and Bill Gates. And I, I reposted that when I saw it. And what I added to it at, at the top, I'll show you, Giles. Yeah. Where are we? Where's, where's my camera? Yeah, yeah. You read what I wrote at the top there? Yeah. Oh, really? Because yeah. this is, we're talking about the city of Revelation. If, if we're going to be honest, and I think we're getting down to this now, Giles, we're getting down to the nitty gritty. You and me know the score. And what we've been promoting is, uh, yeah, singing, praying, meditating. You know, when people used to take holidays, that's where the word came from, holy days. When they weren't working, they would go out and lift their spirits and everyone else's spirits by taking pilgrimages. They would walk the old ley lines, well, the song lines, that's what they are, isn't it? You walk the lines with your friends, you'd be singing. I just found out that the, the ditch at Avebury, you know, the biggest stone circle in Europe, uh, yeah. I was just hearing yesterday that the, the healing energies actually flow through the ditch. And I've been to Avebury many, many times. And do you know what? I've never walked the ditch. I've never, have you ever walked through it? Yeah. Have you? You've walked through the ditch. Apparently that's where the healing energies are concentrated. And the place was designed obviously for mass healing. It's, it's central in the country. You know, we know it's on the Michael and Mary line. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to read out something, Giles, because you know that I'm a writer. You're a beautiful writer. This is what I wrote. And we're getting down to the nitty gritty. Yeah, we can talk about we can talk about the city of Revelation and and you know the great Earth Star in London with BBC Broadcasting House in the middle. When the BBC started out, that that I don't know if you know this. I only found this out recently. That Brock House used to be called Philharmonic Hall. Did you know that? No. Yeah, it was called the Philharmonic Hall. Um, and that was built over a church, a perfectly good and intact church, St. Paul's Portland Place, that was demolished yeah. in 1905. Yeah, now, I remember that. if anyone has any doubts that the BBC are fully engaged in utilizing what I term as the megalithic internet, basically the old you know, uh, the harmonic grid that, that extends around the globe, it happens to have a particularly powerful node point, you know, 400 square mile multi-layered star pattern, Earth Energy Mandala in London. There are others on the planet, but this does explain why London 
and the English language are so powerful. Uh, and that, yeah, that St. Paul's Portland Chapel itself was built over the top of the Marylebone Basin. So it was built over water. You know, we know that our ancient ancestors revered water. Like Stonehenge on the, on the Salisbury Plain is built over the, the largest aquifer, the largest reservoir of underground water in the country. And we know from the work of Masaru Emoto that when you connect with water, you're connecting with every water molecule on the planet. And uh, water pervades, well, it, it goes throughout and beyond our atmosphere, actually. The, the Vedic conception of how the, the sun is powered, I mean, you know, people might laugh at these ideas, but they say that the well, it actually makes sense because they say that the sun derives its power from a combination of hydrogen and oxygen, um, which we also know is H2O. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's that's quite astounding in itself. So, yeah, I, what, I, I was moved to write something down. So I'm just going to read this out, Giles. So I know, I know this is this is me interviewing you, but oh no, it's no, it's it's. it's I think the thing is. It is, this is a good way to do it because it's, you know what I mean? It's a discussion that brings out the best of both of us. Well, you know, we, we, this I is... I think that's part of it. Yeah, this is real time, isn't it? This is what's happening at the moment. And, and you're talking about um, people in church. You're not allowed to go to church. Or if you go to church, you're not allowed to sing. Oh, excuse me. Um, this is the end of Babylon. This is the end of materialistic, civil, godless civilization, and it must end because God says so, and he says so in his holy book, the book of Revelation. There's a reason why all this knowledge has, has come to the fore in the last 30 years. It's because we're meant to act on it and, and understand. You know, we had this idea that, oh, 2012 was going to be the big transition from uh you know pisces to aquarius and certainly it was momentous you know the london olympics incredibly powerful and, and wasn't that done beautifully but the opening ceremony was very very mystical aspect to it you know they were singing jerusalem there was a a a a representation of glastonbury tour but there was a lot of weird stuff going on it which i'm not going to get into anyway but uh, Listen, I'm, I'm just going to read what I, I was inspired to write today, 30th of November. Uh, and yeah, what I what I just showed you, what I, I reposted Dr. Marcus Papadopoulos's thing about the Great Barrington Declaration. I reposted it, but I, I wrote at the top of it for everyone to see Babylon falls in one hour on Wednesday, 11 11 at 11.11 a.m. Well, do you know what I was doing nine years ago on the 11th of November 2011 at 11.11 a.m.? Do you know what I was doing? We had a peace okay. march. This was the Occupy protests. Yeah. They were all those tents, thousands of tents around St. Paul's. Yeah, yeah. And they were up in Finsbury, Finsbury Square they opened up the Bank of Ideas. They were squatting a building next to Finsbury yeah. Square. That's right. Yeah, I remember going there. 
Well, do you know the significance of the connection from St. Paul's to Finsbury Square? They're on the, they're on the coronation line that runs from yeah. Kingston, yeah. Uh, where, where our friend Christian lives, the, the King's yeah. Stones, where all the Saxon kings were crowned. Yeah. That yeah. line runs up through Westminster, yeah, yeah. through St. Yeah. Paul's Cathedral, yeah, yeah. through Finsbury Square, and up yeah. to Arnold's Mound in Arnold Circus. Arnold Circus, yeah, I remember walking it. Well, I'm, I'm currently halfway through a, a, a podcasting course uh, headed by Brian Rose, who started London Real nine years ago. It was October the 23rd in 2011. And you know where he started it? In Shoreditch, right near... I mean, I've yet to find out the specific location, but, you know, he was in the area. He was in the ballpark of Arnold's Mound. Yeah. In um, that, yeah. The coronation yeah. line is, is obviously highly significant. Yeah. Um, well, I hope, I hope that Brian, I hope that Brian uh, Rose, uh, you know, when you get your podcast, your, you get your, your episodes, I hope Brian's going to get involved well, and start sharing the London revelations. Well, Brian is currently running for mayor of London. And I thought it was a joke. I mean, I've been meeting with all these people on podcast conferences and it's all been, you know, Zoom conferences and it's all new to me, 20 people on the screen. Yeah. And this was embarrassing, Giles, the other day. I've got, I don't mind admitting this, you know, I'm getting old now. Um, we have these one hour conferences. I've been working hard all day and oh yeah, I've got my Zoom conference at seven o'clock. Brian Rose is giving like the pep talk to the whole, the whole crew, I fell asleep <laughs> on camera in front of 90 people. <laughs> and I, I wrote to... <laughs> Just hope Brian didn't see that bit. Well, that was my nightmare that he was... And, and at the end, they unmute everybody and everyone goes, whoop, whoop, whoop. And, they're, you know, it, we've had the pep talk and he's great. He's a lovely, lovely man. I really like him. You know, he's... he's yeah, well done. He's, he's a decent guy. Anyway, it was yeah. my nightmare that while I was asleep and slumped in my chair on camera, that he was shouting, wake up, Madden, wake up. So <laughs> that, that didn't happen. Now, dude, I've got five minutes. All right. Oh, really, five? Yeah, literally. Okay, I'll, I'll quick... It, it might take ten minutes to read this. Can you go to ten? Oh. It's what is it now? It's three now, Judith. When do we have to leave? Why do we? Why is it going to take so long? <laughs> I've got the, I've got the trouble and strife in my ear. Hello. What? Well, look, I've got literally a few minutes, but maybe we can do another session. Uh, I, I'll read. I'll read the first paragraph, and you just tell me when you have to quit. Yeah. Okay. The definitive lesson learned from the great media-hyped fake pandemic of 2020 is that there are no independent governments in any of the major industrialized countries worldwide. In truth, none are really countries either, just corporations waving national flags when it suits their ruthless bid for totalitarian global control. All we have seen and heard since March is one gigantic sales pitch for the vaccine industry, the multi-trillion dollar purveyor of deadly poisons. It has been confirmed beyond any doubt that both the UK government and its global mouthpiece, the BBC, are 100% controlled, practically owned by the OBCD and ET corporations, 
namely oil, banking, chemical drugs, and electronics and telecommunications industries. BBC now stands for bribery, blackmail, and corruption, the hallmarks of every gangster-controlled industry worldwide. Happily, there is a far more powerful controller overseeing every single activity going on here in this nursery school for wayward souls, planet Earth. Now that we're all sat at home, many of us jobless and impoverished, wondering what the hell is really going on, we're connecting worldwide like never before at any time in mankind's history. Through independent podcast communications, audio and video that have now risen to topple Satan's BBC and purify the deception polluted airwaves with truth freely broadcast in all directions, fulfilling the BBC's original motto, nation shall speak peace unto nation. Babylon, i.e. godless materialistic pseudo-civilization has been prophesied in the unerringly accurate book of Revelation, a sacred geometry and cryptic masterwork to collapse in one hour. That hour is now drawing very near. On 11.11 at 11 a.m. we shall all witness the final and total collapse of a wicked corrupt system that has enslaved, abused, tortured and murdered millions. We can then all celebrate the Bible's happy ending, the tangible manifestation of a state of consciousness described in symbolic language by Saint John as descending like a bride adorned for her husband. The bride is none other than Mother Earth rapidly returning to a pristine pollution-free condition as all the free energy Tesla technology finally gains the upper hand. The airwaves are finally purified by the widespread and continuous singing of God's holy names, restoring the UK's now famous circles of perpetual choirs to their original potency in keeping mankind in harmony with nature. She has only ever had one husband, Bhagavan Sri Krishna, God Almighty himself, guiding all of us and all events at every step, but never forcing us or overriding our free will. He is the gentle, loving father of all living beings, and the sole purpose of human life is to reawaken to him and her, Mother Goddess, and go back home, back to Godhead. On Wednesday, November 11th, 2020, at 11.11am, the global economy hijacked by the satanic New World Order will collapse in one hour, its fate sealed by ancient prophecy. Humanity can then proceed peacefully and harmoniously, precisely as ordained in the summarizing verses of the New Testament. Nearly there, Giles. Revelation concludes with a final vision of the marriage of heaven and earth, where an angel shows John a stunning bride that symbolizes the new creation that has come forever to join God and his covenant people. God announces that he's come to live with humanity forever and that he's making all things new. Hare Krishna. Thank you very much, Giles. That's been a wonderful interview, mate. Let's let's uh, get this Hare out Harry, Harry, we'll speak soon, brother. All right, love to love to Juliet and the kids. My there, you go.